Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor at the Cathedral of Praise. And again, thank you for the privilege of coming into your home and just having a short time of prayer and Bible reading and worship together. What a beautiful opportunity to just focus our lives on the things of God. In the middle of this lockdown, the gospel is never locked down. Let's open up our hearts and we'll start with Psalms chapter 91 today with one of our recitations. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but they will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your death. Because he has commanded his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. As we go to prayer today, I want us to really begin to pray for all of the small businesses. Many of our families have started small businesses in this time, and you know, honestly, they had not planned on it lasting a long time. They had planned on this being a stopgap. I started sharing with you about a month ago that we need to begin to make this last until at least around the end of the year because that's when they're beginning to talk about us being fully opened but knowing what needs to be done and knowing how to do it is a completely different situation but we have good news God said if any man lacks wisdom he can ask of me and God says he'll give it to you liberally and without any reproach no no put down no criticism if you need wisdom God is the source father we come to you today and Lord, we've been praying for the frontliners, and we thank you that your hand has rested upon them. But Father, we pray right now for the frontliners in feeding their families. So many of our families, everything is going so well, Lord. In fact, they're saving money because they don't have transportations, they don't have food expenses, they just stay home. But Lord, for the families that are struggling, Lord, I ask for mercy, and I ask for wisdom. As every father and every mother as every young person, as every senior, reaches out their heart for wisdom to ask you how to do things. Father, I just ask that you show them a simple plan. You said that we could ask of wisdom. Father, they know what needs to be done, but they don't know how to do it. That's the wisdom. Father, I ask, give every one of my brothers wisdom. They care for their families. They want to provide for their families. Father, give every one of my brothers wisdom in what to do. Show them how to be a provider, even in the middle of this COVID-19 situation. For every mother, Father, for every senior, for every young person, every family has their part. 
Lord, it's like that family where the oil never ran dry. The children had to help their mother. The family has to pull together. Show every young person their part, Lord. Show every senior their part. Show every mom and dad their part. Show them as a family how to do this and how to prosper in the middle of this, just like you showed that family, Lord. Grant your wisdom to them, we pray. And Father, I pray especially for all of our families with their sickness in the home. Father, they can't go to the hospitals. They can't get the treatment that is necessary. But Lord Jesus, <laughs> there's no fear in coming to you. Let this be a season of a great revelation of healing, where once families turned far too quickly to the doctors and the hospitals, Lord, let them now turn to you. Let a new whole young generation see that Jesus is the healer, even in the little things, even in the simple things. Lord, let this whole new generation see that as they put their hope in you, they shall not be put to shame. Let them see your healing power as young people lay hands on their lolas and their lolas, as young people lay their hands on their moms and dads, as young people lay their hands on themselves and each other, Lord, let healing flow. Let young people see the reality of God, that you're not just a story, you're not just a historical figure, Jesus. You rose again and you live forevermore. Let them see. Let them see how real you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Testament passage today picks up in Romans chapter 9 beginning with verse 1 and again I'm trying to be careful because I could just teach through this for hours okay but I'll do that in the evening services okay so I'm just gonna move through here I'm gonna have even more trouble when we get to first Corinthians because you know when you've studied something for so many years like how many years we spent over five years in Romans when you've studied something for so many years the truth is just and to go back and read it, it just explodes in you. So Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Paul said, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. Now, why would he have to say that? That's one of those question marks for me, okay? Why did Paul have to say, I'm not lying? What was it that Paul was being accused of? You see, sometimes we think that Paul operated in this little bubble and it's not like the ministry today where people criticized him and found fault and told lies about him and gossiped about him. Paul lived the same life that young preachers, we all live today. So he said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. And he said, my conscience bears witness, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. All right, so conscience is a big deal in a believer. You see, people can say whatever they want, but if you know in your heart, you're conscious, that, no, no, you've done what's right, you've told the truth, you're fine. My conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Ah, so we begin to see the answer to the why. Some 
thought he hated his own people. Some thought he was no longer a Jew. Some thought that he hated his own people, his, his own brothers, his own kinmen, according to the flesh. But Paul says, that's just not true. They are Israelites, and to them are, to the Jew, I'm learning to change pens, to the Jew belong there's a key word, adoption, glory, covenants, the law, worship, and the promises. Wow. And covenants, the glory, the adoption, the giving of the law, and the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, brothers and sisters, sometimes as Gentiles, we, we don't understand. All of this blessing flowed through the Jew. You see, God said to Abraham, through your seed, the whole world will be blessed. All nations will be blessed. That seed refers to Christ. Through Christ, through that seed, through Jesus, all the world would be blessed. But again, through the Jews, they were the first to be adopted by God. They were the first to see the glory of God. They were the first to enter into the covenants of God. They were the first to receive the law of God. They were taught worship by God and later, so we not only have Moses teaching this, we not only have Moses teaching this, but we also have King David teaching this. To them belong the promises. They were the first to receive all of this. See, you and I, the Bible teaches, are grafted in. We are grafted in to all of this. But all of this first belonged to the Jews. So Paul said, listen, I I'm not anti-Jew. That's kind of silly. Paul is a Jew and he's anti-Semitic. To them belong the patriarchs. From their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. All right, so Jesus came from the Jews. Now, I, again, I think it's kind of funny when people try to make Jesus look like a, ca a Caucasian European because he did not. And then they try to make Jesus look like a black man and he was not. And there are people that want to make Jesus look Pinoy and he's not. Jesus, according to the flesh, was a Jew. So when people are going around acting anti-Semitic and they're Christians, you kind of go, you know what, you're going to have a hard time when you get to heaven and you look at the face of Jesus. Even in his glorified state, you're going to see that before his incorruptible body, his corruptible body was Jew. So sometimes, you know, we need to get over all the prejudices and realize that in Christ, everybody's the same. But it is not as though the word of God had failed. Now, that's important. Now, God's word never fails. He said, you, you, you think that God's word failed because of the Jews. He said, because they, they rejected Jesus. But he said, but now wait a minute. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not everybody who came from Abraham belongs to Abraham. Not all the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. So not all. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. 
Okay, so we have to understand not everybody, because there is Ishmael also, Diba. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise that are counted as the offspring. All right, so who today are the children of problem? promise? Those who are saved according to the promise. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I shall return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac. For though they were not yet born, and had nothing, had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call. Okay? Election is based on calling. She was told the older will serve the younger. So election does not concern salvation. Now I can remember as a young man still in Bible college visiting my grandmother. And as I visited my grandmother, we went to this little Methodist church because that's grandma grew up a Methodist. My uh, grandfathers on my grandmother's side were Methodist circuit riders, okay? So the grandfather of my grandmother was a Methodist circus rider. So grandma was always a Methodist, and she was a good Methodist. She loved Jesus. But now, I can remember going to church one day, and the preacher stood up and said, you know, there is no purpose to waste money on world evangelism. Those who are elect of God shall be saved. We, have, we should not waste our money preaching the gospel, as people say, and all of this. And I sat there horrified. Now, you didn't talk in the Methodist church, so I looked at Grandma afterwards on the way home. I said, Grandma, did you hear what he said? She said, ah, don't pay attention to him. These new style preachers don't know what they're talking about. And, and the Grandma was about four foot 11. Grandma was tiny, okay? And, and, but she'd been a school teacher all of her life. But Grandma Butler really sat me down and began to educate me about the doctrine of election. And you know what? She taught me better than I've been taught in Bible college. Now, one of the things you have to understand is election is about calling. It is not about salvation. In order that God's election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call. She was told, the older will serve the younger. It is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. In other words, the world would say, not fair, because the world is based on meritocracy. Christianity is based on grace. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend, I'm trying to move my screen, but I'm still working with this computer at home. Have you noticed this one operates, it's identical machine, identical software, but I've got to get into the registries one day, and I hate opening the registries and fixing things because of the updates. Because the last time I worked on a registry, I made a mess. And some of you go, what in the world is a registry? Never mind. 
so that it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Again, the world bases everything on meritocracy. But God says, no, 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 that, that's not how it works. It doesn't depend on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whom he wills, and he hardens whom he wills. And we'll get more into that in our detailed studies in the evening services. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Old Testament passage picks up in Ezra chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. So let's read. The son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitib, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son of Panias, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. All right, so Ezra traced his lineage all the way back to Aaron, the chief priest. Now, this was very, very important to a Jew. This Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he asked, for the hand of the Lord was upon him. So let's begin to make a note of God's hand. So first of all, God's hand gives favor. God's hand gives favor. And there he went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. Some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites and the singers, the gatekeepers and the temple servants. He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is the seventh year of the king. And on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. So, all right, we have a five-month trip. You didn't go anywhere quickly in those days. For the good hand of the Lord was upon him. All right, so now we see a couple of things about God's hand. So let's start making a list. We start seeing God's hand. Let's go up here and make a list. God's hand gives favor. God's hand is a good hand. God's hand is not upon us for evil, it's for good. God's hand gave traveling mercy. So that's a good way to pray for people. When they get ready to go on a trip, Lord, let your hand be upon them. That's a great way to pray for people. Why was God's hand upon him? Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, to do it, and to teach it. All right? So here is a leader. God's hand... Why was God's hand on his life? Number one, he studied the word. Number two, he lived the word. And number three, he taught the word. Now, now young men and young women who have a call of God in your life, that, that's the ministry. That's leadership. Okay? God's hand is upon your life. Why? Three reasons. You study the word. Second reason, you live the word. Third reason, you teach the word. You don't teach the latest little slogan. You don't teach the latest little political, you know, monologue that's going around the world that you saw on Facebook. You study the word. You live the word. You teach the word. There's a great sermon for young pastors. This is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. All right, so we have a man who set his heart to study the word of God, and he became learned in it. You know, forgive me, people recognize. People can see this. 
One of the things my grandfather taught me, and he was a very wise pastor all of his life. Grandpa taught me, he said, David, people who sit in the pews are not stupid. They're very clever people. He said, don't ever think that people are stupid. And one of the applications he taught me about is he said, you know, David, people can tell when a pastor is not prepared. People can tell when a pastor doesn't understand his material. People can tell when a pastor just copied a sermon from someplace because there's no depth of understanding. There's no depth of learning behind that sermon. He said, people, people can tell. And you know what I've learned in my short life? Grandpa was right. People can see that there's a person learned in the matters of the Word of God. Not just shallow, not shallow. Again, this is great material for leaders, connect group leaders, great material for you. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. Now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go with you to Jerusalem may go. All right, so free will. Free will is necessary to do the will of God. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand. All right, so <laughs> this is pretty cool. So Ezra carried the word. <laughs> I can remember a young pastor one time making fun of me because I always had a Bible. Oh, and I taught him to always carry a Bible. And he thought that was the funniest thing. And he mocked me for it. And he was one of our pastors. He's no longer around. He's long gone. You see, you have to, you have to be known by something. And the, here is a man who was known to be learned in the word of God. Here was a man of God who carried God's word in his hand. He, he, always had a, he always had the parchments with him. He always had the law of Moses with him. But now notice the basis of inquiry. According to the law of your God. He said, I don't want to hear about the politics and I don't want to hear about the, the economy. I want to hear about how is the land doing according to the word. So the basis of the inquiry is not politics, okay? And it's not economics. It's from the word. And also to carry the silver and gold, the king and his counselors have freely offered, every offering is given by God freely, to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem. <laughs> That's a whole study in itself. With all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offering of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. All right, so we have vows, and we have the basis of a vow. Willingly. Have you ever noticed that when we do vows at church, I like you to go home and think about it for a week and then come back and make the vows next week? See, some people get caught up in the excitement and then they make a promise that they're not going to keep. It's better to make a vow willingly. With this money, then you shall buy with all diligent, buy bulls, rams, lambs, and their grain offerings and drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God in Jerusalem. All right, so we have designated offerings. 
So you, you, with this money, he said, you don't use this money for other things. This money is for offerings. This money is to do this with, all right? Whatever seems good to you and your brothers, do so with the rest of the silver and gold. You may do according to the will of God. So, all right, when the need is met, okay, it still has to meet God's will. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide out of the king's treasury. Now here, here's Artaxerxes continuing to pay for the reconstruction and the rebuilding of God's temple. And I, Artaxerxes, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Now, I always remember beyond the river, that's where the idols come from. Whatever Ezra the priest and the scribe and the law of the God of heaven requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Now, notice, there is a promise, and then there are limits. And then there are limits. So there are limitations. Listen, I'm going to take care of this, but I do put a few limits on you. You can't go crazy. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath shall be against the realm, the king, and his sons. All right, so this guy wanted God's favor. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or the other servants of God's house. This is where, in Western mentality, this is where tax-free for churches comes from. Having fun with my pen again. Tax-free property, etc., for churches comes from. And in the Philippines, uh, priests and pastors are tax-free. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them, you shall teach. He said, hey, you, you need to teach the law of God. Whoever will not obey the law of your God, the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage. For the hand of my God was upon me, and I gathered the leading men from Jerusalem to go up with me. Or from Israel to go with me. Now, chapter 8, verse 1. These are the heads of their father's houses. This is the genealogy of those who went with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. Of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom. Of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel. Of the sons of David, Hattush of the sons of Shechaniah, who was the sons of Parosh, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men. Of the sons of Pahath, Moab, 
Elehonai, the son of Zarahiah, and with him 200 men. Of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 men. Of the sons of Aden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, with him 50 men. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshahiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him 70 men. Of the sons of Shephathiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 men. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him 218 men. Of the sons of Bani, Shelomith, the son of Josephiah, and with him 160 men. And of the sons of Babai, Zechariah, the son of Babai, and with him 28 men. And of the sons of Azgad, Jonathan, the son of Hakathan, and with him 110 men. And of the sons of Adonakam, those who came later, all right, so those who came later, their names being Elephelet, Jeul, Shemaiah, and with them 80 or 60 men. Of the sons of Begvai, Uthai, and Zachar, and with them 70 men, I agreed to gather to the river, I, I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and we camped there three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found that none of the sons of Levi, all right, so before the journey, We do a review. Now, that's important as a leader that you learn to do. Let's, let's review things before we leave. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, and Nathan, Jerib, and Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leading men, and for Joarib and El-Nathan, who were men of insight. Now, there, there is a great thought. Men of insight. Are you a person that people look at and call a man of insight? That's a great thought. You know, some people are just dull, but other people know how to penetrate a subject. Other people know how to think through to the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth level of a subject. Those are men of insight. And I sent them to Edu, the leading man at the place, Kasifiah telling them what to say to Edu and his brothers and the temple servants at the place of Kasaphiah, namely to send us ministers for the house of God. <laughs> say, hey, we need some help here. And by the good hand of God upon us, they brought us a man of discretion. <laughs> All right, so the good hand of God again. So we add that to our list up there. The good hand of God brings good help a man of discretion now did you see this men you you need to you need to start making a list of the kind of things that people are known for in the bible men of insight men of discretion you know there are some people that are really good at making a mess and they can get a job done, but they leave a wake behind them of death and suffering. There are other men who are men of discretion. Also, Hashpa'iah, verse 19, and with him, Jesahiah and the sons of Moriah, and with his kinsmen and their sons, 20. Besides 220 of the simple temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God 
to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and our goods. Okay, so notice fasting and prayer, because of course there's prayer because they're seeking. Fasting and prayer for a safe journey for themselves, for their children who are coming with them, and for their goods. Huh. All right, so here is a great prayer for travel. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath against all those who forsake him. <laughs> so he'd been bragging on God, bragging on God requires <laughs> living by faith. Oh, that's cute. I like that. So we fasted and implored our God for this. So we fasted and we prayed. We implored our God for this. And he listened to our entreaty. I like that. God listens. God listens. When you pray this day, God listens. Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Sarabiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out Now this is important. Then I weighed out for to them the silver and gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God, that the king, his counselors, his lords, and all Israel there present had offered. And I weighed out into their hand, notice, to them, into their hand, 650 talents of silver, and the silver vessels were 200 talents and 100 talents of gold. 20 bowls of gold worth 100 derricks and two vessels of fine bronze or fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The vessels are holy. The silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them. Keep them. Now, let's back up. When you accept responsibility... Four funds. Count it first. It should be counted to you. Never accept money that you don't count. If people say, listen, I'd like you to take 10,000 pesos and go do this, say, would you, would you count it for me? Don't you count it. Because if there's a discrepancy, maybe they forgot one bill, maybe they added an extra bill. Never accept money that people do not count out to you. Great lesson in keeping good friendships and good relationships. Because people say, but I gave you 10,000, but there was only nine there. Always have it counted out in front of you. And then he said, guard them and keep them. He said, you're responsible until you weigh them before the chief priests, the Levites, and the heads of the father's houses in Israel, at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of God. So there is now a reckoning. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight. Notice, took over. Now they are responsible. 
the weight of the silver, the gold, and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of God. Now, brothers and sisters, notice they had to reweigh to hand over. It was counted to them as they accepted responsibility, and they counted it to others to transfer responsibility. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was upon us. Here's the hand of God again. Keep filling in the list above. And he delivered us. Here's another effect of the hand of God. Delivered us from the hand of the enemy and ambushes. All right, so the hand of God brings safety. Now, it doesn't say that there was never an ambush or there was never anybody who tried. It says God delivered them. It doesn't say no problems. It said God delivered them. We came to Jerusalem and, we, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and gold and vessels were weighed into the hands. All right, now here's the transfer. Again, by weighing, by counting, into the hands of Merimoth the priest, the son of Uriah, and with him was Eleazar the son of Panias, and with him were the Levites, Jezebat the son of Joshua, and Noadiah the son of Binua. So transfer, and again, notice multiple witnesses. You never count alone. You never count alone. Okay, because then it's he said, she said. Counting, transfers of responsibility of finances is done very publicly. The whole was counted and weighed and the weight of everything was recorded. All right, so finances are recorded. At that time, those who came from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people of God and the house of God. So they did everything they were told to do. Now, some of this just looks like, oh, pastor, these are just little details. You know what? This is where people make mistakes. This is where churches are destroyed. You have one person counting the offering. <laughs> you never do that. You have someone who says they gave this much when they only gave this much. Or they gave more than that. Right? You have to learn. All of these things are written in the Old Testament, Paul says, for our example. So let's learn. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.